Musketeer Made is the official podcast of the Sioux City Musketeers. Back and better than ever for week two. Tanner Hoops along with Travis Morgan. Delighted you're along. Pretty darn successful week one, I'd say. A lot of fun getting Artie back here, reminiscing, telling old stories, and a lot of good feedback from the community. Yeah, and, and having Art Feminella, who is a guy that is just revered and loved for what he was able to do for the Musketeers, you know, winning the Clark Cup and, and being the, the, the big tough guy that he was and a great leader, you know, Everybody has that story about Art Feminella around here and to have him on that first one talking about having his his wrist laced open and not finishing like the majority of games in Lincoln when he played just great stuff. So, uh, yeah, great to hear from Art. But uh, we got another Sioux City Musketeer icon with us in week number two. Yeah, we've got maybe the godfather of Sioux City Musketeer hockey and another guy who's able to share plenty of Art Feminella stories with us. Help us welcome in Dave Siciliano, the last head coach to bring the Clark Cup here to Sioux City. Coach, first of all, thank you for taking the time and being on. How's it going up there uh, north of the border? Well, first of all, it's my pleasure. I love uh, having a chat about the old days, especially Sioux City old days. Uh, up here in Canada, we've got a little snow, which I'm sure a lot of people do have uh, all over the country right now, but a little cooler weather, though, than, than you uh, probably have. But otherwise, everything's going very well. Coach, uh, tell us, first of all, while we're on the subject, your favorite Art Feminella memory. <laughs> Just one of them. <laughs> if, you, if you got a couple that rank up there, don't don't be afraid. Yeah, well, Artie was, uh, he, he was, he, he was uh, unique, that we put it that way. I mean, you, you don't get that many big bodies in hockey back at that time. So uh, he uh, joined at, what, 6'7", and probably about 6'9", with skates on. He was an intimidating, imposing-type player for anybody, and then you put him in the Audi at 165, 67 feet long and about uh, 79 feet wide. You can imagine what the opposition felt like every time they came into our end zone. And you remember uh, how those boards used to shake when somebody rattled into them. Well, a couple of guys at 150, 150 pounds wouldn't move them too much. But when Artie took somebody out in that far corner, those boards shook. And the crowd up in that part of the arena just, I tell you, they, they, they became so excited and uh, made such a difference in the game that, it was it was uh, it was amazing when he took guys out in that corner. He was telling us about the fact that just that particular team that he was on uh, here in Sioux City, they weren't exactly the most talented or skilled team. But during that time, you could you could out physical and maybe bully teams a little bit to get them to their will to break, which happened in Sioux Falls in back to back years. Uh, do you remember kind of how that team played a little bit and that rough edge that already brought? that could really kind of transform a series or transform a game just by his presence? Well, you have to remember that that team uh, started to be built in 2000, and that was the first year I, I was hired to come in and, and be the coach. But I did miss the preseason camp, and that's when Dave Haxtall left, went to North Dakota, and two assistant coaches that remained decided that they were going to move on. So I inherited the team really not having seen one player play. So I was just told who could do what. And uh, certainly that first year, I was very, very hard on the players. I pushed them 
probably more than they had been pushed. And uh, I really tried to find out who were players and who were were passengers. And uh, as it turned out, I think maybe nine players we took back the next year. And at the end of the year of, of the, that first year, I did say to everybody that, you know, really this was a tryout. So when you come to camp next year, have no expectations but to make the team. So we uh, ended up with about nine returnees, I believe, and uh, went out and got some others to fill the, the necessary holes. And of course, uh, goaltending was really important. And that's where we got Andy Frank, Chris Mayotte. So those kids that came back that year <clears throat> recognized what was uh, ahead for them. And uh, Art filled in admirably. I mean, he was an assistant captain. Brandon Schwartz, our captain, Dan Canero, assistant. These guys became the nucleus along with um, Ryan Garris as uh, really the mainstay of that hockey club. And we had a bit of a blueprint and, uh, you know, Artie was a big part of it. And the physicality that we played was uh, part of our identity within the league. And, of course, within the Audi, you have to be somewhat physical. You have to take advantage of that home ice surface. If it didn't, we were wasting our time. But with that came the fact that, yeah, we weren't the most skilled team, but for a team, and people talk about chemistry and building a team, those uh, those guys mesh so well, I really didn't have to do any phony chemistry making on the outside. These guys gelled as well as any. And when you see uh, the result of the Clark Cup, um, you could see that the makeshift of this team, the leadership, the uh, kind of personalities that really played for the crest on the front and not the name on the back, as they say, uh, was indicative of the, of the end result. So it, it was truly a team and every coach would love to have, no question. Coach, you've talked about the old auditorium, and you were part of the transition there from moving to that arena to the current one, the Tyson Events Center. And, you know, you would build your teams uh, based on your arena quite a bit in your home setting. How did that transition go? Tell me about, uh, you know, because you made it to the Clark Cup final playing in both arenas and uh, seemed to handle that transition pretty well. We had to change our, our approach when we got into the new arena. We're in the bigger ice surface at all times. So, we had to look for a little more skill. Definitely uh, skating ability became uh, paramount. Uh, we still needed size as you do in every every arena, but uh, it, it, uh, it changed our focus quite a bit. And uh, I, I think the other key factors, we became a tier one league back in 03. And with that, more younger skilled players become became the norm within the league. And uh, the idea of recruiting changed as well because we went more to a draft. And each year that draft became more and more important. So scouting for players who could play under the system that we wanted that still had the grit, had that, that physicality, but not, not overboard, but had more skill and more skating ability certainly uh, became the norm. And the league because of that, became younger. If you look at our team back in 02, it was an older team. I mean, we beat Sioux Falls at that time, younger team, 
more skill. We beat uh, Green Bay, again, a team that was younger and, uh, and sent more players on to college and to the NHL. And then meeting Omaha, another skilled team, who again had players who went on. So we had to mirror those teams once we moved from the Audi. And with that, we did have, as you suggested, pretty good success. 05, we are within you know, a couple of periods of, uh, well, actually about five minutes of winning that series at home and winning the Clark Cup, and we lost it in five in Cedar Rapids. Which barn did you like better? The auditorium or the Tyson? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. Well, you know, from a coach's point of view, uh, that uh, Audi was um, very, very hard to beat. Uh, I, I remember it in that place uh, when uh, we got going and uh, we scored a goal or whatever, and or a fight or a big hit, and our team got going. The other teams just could not handle us. It didn't matter what their skill level was. The, the passion, the drive, the, the, the excitement in the players uh, was such that it was suffocating. And, um, and the other thing, uh, night, some nights maybe we had 1,500 people in there, but you'd think the place was packed because uh, the sound system in there, the, the, the cheering and so forth, I mean, it was again deafening. It, it, it was uh, it, it it was truly very unique. And as I say, as a coach, I, I love that place. Now I played in it as well way back when the USHL was kind of a semi-pro league. I didn't really like going in there because of all those factors I've just said. The game could switch so quickly. And and I'll tell you another story where a it wasn't so valuable, but my first year there, something happened in my hockey coaching that before or since uh, I've never seen. Somebody scored on our net while they were killing a penalty and they shot it from their goal line. And our goaltender field tried to field it. It somehow hopped or went right through them. And uh, I've never seen that before and since. But again, because it's so short and uh, the, the quickness of everything that could happen in that short period of time, because um, people talked about scoring from the red line. Well, this was scoring from the, the narrow red line, which is the goal line. So that happened. So no, that rank from a perspective of, of a coach uh, uh, was definitely an advantage. You obviously had the 2002 Clark Cup run, and that's the one that is so memorable for a lot of people here, brings back so many good memories. And then you went again in 2005 and came up short against Cedar Rapids and Alex Stalock in that. Tell me about that run to the Cup final. Well, that one was, was really quite interesting because uh, when we got down to the uh, finals, um, they – had the uh, uh, home ice advantage. So we went into their rink and uh, the first night <clears throat> we weren't very good and they, they put a tag on us pretty good. But the next night, I believe we shut them out. Uh, Jimmy Spratt was in goal for us and uh, played remarkably well that night. So they created a split and we came back home and we won the third game. So that put us in a great spot. 
because the fourth game was in our building as well. So uh, we were in a pretty good situation, and uh, I thought played very, very well, but we weren't scoring, so we only had a one-goal lead nursing the last five minutes of the game. And um, unfortunately, they, they got a break, they scored, and they ended up winning in overtime, uh, very quickly in overtime. And uh, uh, we had a couple of days to lick our wounds and go back in there, but it wasn't, it wasn't to be had. But we had, a, we had a good team that year, very, very good team. And a lot of players went on to very successful NCAA careers and some into professional hockey. Uh, you know, Kennedy played uh, in the National Hockey League and a few others as well. Um, but uh, Stalock became the difference. As much as uh, Jimmy Spratt played really well for us, Stalock was uh, exceptional. And of course, he's shown it to this day. He's what, got about a 10 or 12 year career in the National Hockey League. So uh, he, he was. Uh, he was really the difference, and as in every championship I've ever had, uh, the goaltending has usually been the difference. It's funny, we, we criticize goalies, we expect so much of them, we don't draft them very high, but you can't win without good goaltending, and every coach knows they're only as good as their goaltending, most in, in the, you know, the bottom line. Give us a good goaltender, and all of a sudden, you know, we're not a bad coach. Speaking of goalies, I, I know that you you have a love for for Jeff Zadkoff and and uh, you know that was a guy that you really were kind of had your your chips put into the center on, yeah. thinking he was going to be around for one more year because that was a year that you thought really you had a really great team and you needed that guy and you thought you were going to keep him and then Miami swooped in the last second and brought him up. Tell us that story a little bit and when the plan that that kind of wasn't unfortunately. Yeah, well, that year, of course, we had uh, Jimmy and, and Jeff, and uh, Jim was a couple years older than Jeff. Uh, Jeff came in as a 17-year-old, and his first time in junior hockey, and he developed remarkably well, and under a lot of circumstances, could have taken over the number one position, and it did, actually, during the season at, uh, on a couple of occasions, uh, but when the playoffs came, um, he, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he and, and, uh, and Jim died for the opportunities. And we had that uh, series with Lincoln where it seemed like whoever scored the last goal won the game because both teams uh, were, were struggling defensively. And it ended up that uh, Jim took over and net at that time and uh, then for the finals. But uh, Jeff, we were counting on him big time to come back the next year. I thought he was going to be the goalie of the USHL for sure. He had size. His technique was very, very solid. He had the mind for the game. He had all the tools to, to really become a, a, a very, very good goaltender in our league. Well, unfortunately, Miami and Ohio saw the same thing and felt he could be their goalie at the college level. And of course, that's where he went and uh, it was very disappointing for us uh, because it happened sometime during the summer, I believe it was in July, when that decision was made. So that was uh, a little late for us to go ahead and try and find somebody of that caliber. 
Coach, uh, talking about some of your old players, Zatkoff, certainly one of them. And then uh, you've, you've had plenty of success stories. I know everyone thinks of guys like Max Pacioretty, but tell me about some of your former players, your alums, and uh, some guys that you really enjoyed coaching or some that you still keep in contact with. Well, there's one that I, I do keep in contact with and uh, because he's here in Duluth. Not here, but uh, we're just down the road from him. And uh, we end up going through Duluth or to Duluth on a, on a regular basis. And that's Ryan Garrett. And, of course, Ryan would own Sioux City if he lived there because of the goal he scored in overtime there in 02. And uh, Ryan um, and I, we communicate a little bit. And, and uh, I always have a few laughs when we do get together. But uh, <laughs> Ryan, there's a kind of an interesting story because uh, – uh, I remember uh, I had uh, a new shirt on with my tie and so forth, and uh, I'm up giving a talk to the players, and I could see uh, Ryan kind of gesturing a little bit, and I'm going like, you know, what's going on here? Anyway, uh, there's kind of a lull, and I stopped, and uh, he says, Coach, he says, your shirt still has a tag on it. <laughs> I don't think any of the other players would have taken the risk to say that, but Brian did. And sure enough, I had this little tag that had, uh, you know, it's medium size or whatever it was that I had to take off the front. Well, needless to say, I didn't carry on with much of a pep talk at that time. So, <laughs> but I got to tell you this other story too about Artie. We were, uh, I think it was in the playoffs that year. And um, uh, I had been up in the, no, I think we finished, yeah, we finished the, uh, the period. Well, about five minutes later, uh, Artie comes racing down and he says, and he's got this serious look on his face. He says, Coach, he says, there's somebody up in our room talking to us. And he's giving us this pep talk. Like, what's going on? And like, who the heck? First of all, how do you get up there? How do you know? Uh, how to get up there and, and obviously he got by whomever, the ushers or whatever I go up there and he's giving these guys a lecture well needless to say he had a few too many pops right, someplace along the line, found his way into our dressing room and thought he would imitate me by giving the, these players a pep talk so I had to escort him out of there and again how does that interfere with your trying, what you're trying to say, it's it, kind of created a different atmosphere but some of the other guys yeah you know what uh, Brandon Schwartz he was a great captain that year and he, he went through a, a real transition with me though from uh, the first year because uh, you know some of these guys when they came in to play they thought they knew what hard work was they thought they knew what it was to um you know, to uh, sacrifice a little bit and uh, and uh, do something at a, at a higher level. And, uh, you know, some of them had only played a high school hockey, which maybe consisted of 20 games a year and a few practices, but didn't understand what it would really take a, at the next level. And so Brandon went through a lot with me, and he made some significant changes. And with that, became an excellent leader and captain and and uh so uh every now and then uh, we emailed each other and uh, and kept in touch 
But uh, here locally, though, Jeff Aduno, and everybody remembers Jeff. Oh, you know, he was so uh, so much a big part of that uh, that hockey club. Uh, you know, he anchored uh, one of the lines with DJ DJ Greaves and John Zyler. And um, I still see him. He's got four kids now. He's deep into hockey and uh, coaching and has his own business. And, and believe it or not, his, his own business logo looks like the old Sioux City. And he purposely did that. The <laughs> SC, yeah, the SC, he's got that. So it, it's kind of cool. There. So he's really would be the closest one that I've, I've dealt with primarily because he's back here in town. Tanner just brought up some, some names earlier. Take us through a couple of those guys, like, you know, you camphor, uh, patch some of those guys that came through, through with you and what you saw in them. Did, did you know right away that they were special players? Well, I'll tell you, um, uh, Max came onto the ice, uh, in our training camp and I was standing beside Bobby Kinsella because Bobby had, uh, had talked to him and we we uh, we drafted him and I, I didn't see him but for two minutes and I said to Bobby he's going to be a first round pick if he scores he'll be a second and no later than a third if he doesn't wow. and he ended up to be a first round pick I I probably have identified maybe half a dozen players like that when I first see them. They just have that kind of look or swagger or something that I think kind of stands out. And of course, he's had a remarkable career. Uh, Steven came to us at uh, 16, and, and I know at that time he was probably a little um, upset that he didn't make the, the national team in, in uh, Ann Arbor. And, um, uh, you know, he had a lot of trust in. What we could do for him, and how he could he could help our hockey club, and uh, boy, within a couple of months, he was a mainstay of one of our power plays. I mean, he, he was remarkable, and he improved so much that year. And of course, the following year <clears throat> was uh, certainly one of the leaders on the team. But uh, you know, I've always uh, watched him as kind of that that sixth or seventh guy. But in my opinion. You know, he, he can play and uh, definitely help somebody. So I'm a little surprised he hasn't had that opportunity to be, be in the, uh, you know, at least four, five, or six guy on a, on a hockey club because uh, he's got it all. And uh, I guess the other guy that, uh, you know, kind of zoomed up the ladder like Max did uh, was uh, Sam Gagne, you know. And Sam, uh, he was with us at 16. And, uh, you know, his skill set uh, was remarkable. And the fact that, that uh, we pushed him to a point where his skating and so forth got to another level. And, um, you know, that's where uh, London Knights took him the next year. But he already had a full ride at Wisconsin or most schools if he, if he wanted. And he, if he wanted to stay in, in the USHL and Sioux City. But he chose to go the, the O and uh, certainly it worked out for him very well. He was a high, high pick. I believe he was sixth or eighth to Edmonton. So uh, <clears throat> both he and Max really, within 18 months of leaving Sioux City, were in professional hockey. So that just shows you the caliber of the, the league at that time and, of course, uh, the quality of those two hockey players. 
Coach, let's step away from the ice just for a moment. When you think back to Sioux City, Iowa, what comes to mind away from your time with the Musketeers? Uh, Two Rivers Golf Course. It is. <laughs> weren't, you, weren't you a champ for a while there, Dave? Well, I won the seniors, but that was the first year I think it, it took place. So uh, it wasn't really a crowded field, but uh, I, I did manage to, to win that. And uh, um, Rod... Slater was was excellent with me. He was very very good uh, to uh, you know to walk into a clubhouse and chat with and try and line me up with other people and uh, give me every opportunity to play. So I uh, really enjoyed the game. The fact we were there for basically 12 months a year because my wife and I worked together, moved and moved there, <clears throat> had a home and so forth. So that was a uh, that was always a a great place besides that with just uh, all the friends that we made there i mean it's uh we still are in touch uh with uh, a number of people and my wife in particular she sees me the, the comments and so forth on facebook and um so there, there's uh yeah two city was a big part of our life we were there for eight years and i know a lot of coaches have gone to uh, places to coach and they left their family at home that was not something that I was ever uh, willing or wanted to do. If, uh, if we didn't do it together, I wouldn't go and do it. So this was something that uh, uh, Caroline, many, many times, uh, you know, we were sitting there some evenings and we talked about Sioux City and how much we enjoyed just the people and uh, the whole camaraderie and uh, obviously what spun off from hockey. Coach, uh, after you left Sioux City, you went on to work for the league and uh, supervised the disciplinary committee. And, you know, teams uh, that you coach certainly were known for their physicality. And then you make the giant. I know that's, that's selling it lightly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's like I was telling you off the air. I, I said, having Dave Siciano be the director of what? Of, uh, of disciplinary? Discipline. Yeah, that, that's like Snoop Dogg being the director of the FBI's drug task force. I mean, come on let's, with this. I mean, let's go. But you knew what to look for, right, Coach? Absolutely. Well, you have to remember now, things change significantly, both in the National Hockey League and filtered right down. <laughs> and with that, those rule changes and then the player safety issue became the focus point right from uh, the head of USA Hockey or Hockey Canada or uh, within the National Hockey League and the structure down. So um, coaching tactics needed to change and players needed to change. And with that, you've got the game of today. But yes, it was kind of interesting for me to deal with some of the coaches, of course, that were still there, right, that I had uh, coached against and try and tell them that this was not acceptable, that you had to communicate a little differently to your players. They had to be more respectful of uh, head contact, and we had to take that out of the game. Um, all that was fine in, in words, and everybody uh, bought in, but uh, the difficulty was, of course, when one of their players got in trouble, and we had to suspend them and... Uh, um, everybody was on board until, of course, it was their own player. And uh, every one of these situations, you never made 100% happy. There was always one coach that said, 
but uh, because it was his player, he wasn't happy. And the other coach said, well, it wasn't enough. It should have been more games. So it was, it was really a thankless job, but um, I had a great deal of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, challenges with it. Did I have as much fun with it as coaching? No, <laughs> it wasn't that much fun, but it was a challenge. Years ago, Dave, I did a story with you and I asked you just point blank. It was, it was on fighting. And I just asked you point blank, is there a place for fighting in hockey? And you agreed. You said there was at the time. Um, this is about 15 years later now. We're a little older, but uh, do you still agree with your, your stance back then 15 years ago? Is there a place for fighting in hockey still uh, this current climate? You know, it's, it's probably the only sport that, that does allow fighting. And that's just, just the history. It's the expectation of the fans. It's just ingrained within the, the culture of the sport. Let's put it this way, Travis. You could do without fighting. Okay. College does, and there's thousands of people who go to college games. Minor hockey does, and there's numerous players and people who enjoy it immensely. So it could be eliminated. Now, will it be eliminated where you're... Uh, in, um, that you fight and you're gone from the game. I think the, the concern is you don't want two valuable players fighting and being gone from the game. Okay. That's still an issue. Um, but when I watch basketball or football, the physicality sometimes is pretty severe. And these guys pull back. So can we do it in hockey? Sure, you can. But is it acceptable? Do people really want it? The NHL really on top of that? I think it's still part of the entertainment package. So I'm not so sure we're there yet. Coach, I uh, wanted to ask you here as we're starting to wind down, who was the toughest player you ever coached against during your time in Sioux City? Uh, I'm not so sure this would would be where, where we are uh, in regards to um, what's his name that played for Sioux Falls? Thomas Vanek? Vanek. Okay. Now, I guess this is a bit of a success story because I remember going into Sioux Falls with our club that year and Thomas was probably 17 because I think he was drafted that year. So he probably was 17. And we went in there and we lost 7-5, um, I believe. He scored five goals, four goals, and he scored them every which way you want. He scored it with a beautiful wrist shot. He scored it shorthanded. He scored on the power play. Uh, he deked one of our goaltenders and, or our, our defenseman and the goaltender. I mean, the guy looked to me like uh, – just as he did when he went to the National Hockey League, of course. I thought, oh, he's, he's unstoppable. The good news, though, is that we did stop him. And as already mentioned last week, one of his roles when we played Sioux Falls was to be on the ice when Thomas was on the ice. And, of course, we had better opportunity in the Audi. And as I mentioned earlier, there was a lot of guys that had the flu when they came to the auditorium and you know Thomas wasn't quite as good when he played in the audience he played at home and um, and we were able to stop him and when we got into the playoffs 
I mean, he was the guy that I was worried about because if he got ignited to a point where he really wanted to take over the game, he probably could have. I mean, he was big, strong, so if he was willing to take a physical abuse, he could have gone ahead and, and, and done more. So we tried to physically negate him as best we could. With that, we felt we had a chance to, to win. So he would be the guy that comes to mind immediately uh, in, in regards to being worried about. But the fact is we did manage to stop him. And I, I can't say that's a coaching compliment. I have to give Artie credit for that. All right, we're going to go rapid fire here with five questions, Coach. No explanation needed. Just give me a name or a place. All right, you ready? Uh, if my memory is good enough, yeah. All right, here we go. Best player you've ever coached? Uh, I would say, I got to say Max. Uh, he, he he was pretty darn good. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he had a great year that year as well, so it would have to be him. Okay. Toughest player you've ever coached in Sioux City? Oh, that'd, that'd be Artie. Yeah. Best goaltender in Sioux City? Um, boy, I'm going to make somebody unhappy with this. I, Andy Frank had a great year with us there in, in 02. I mean, I wasn't really expecting that from him, but he, he, was, he was pretty darn good. Favorite place to play not in Sioux City. So favorite place, favorite road place to play. Well, I mean, uh, how challenging was it to uh, to go to uh, Lincoln? I mean, that that was a hard, hard place to play. Yeah. So I wouldn't say favorite, but that was uh, that was a hard place to play. So going there, if you won, you earned your money. Team you enjoyed beating the most? <laughs> uh, my good friend, Mister Hastings' team in in Omaha. Uh, I mean, when you look at that series, I mean, how do we win two games in Omaha in a best of five? I mean, I often said that the, the script was written far before we even got there because, you know, we lost that first game. Full house, let it see, 6,000. We got 15 shots on goal. Like we weren't in the same rank. And then the second game, we scored three goals in the third period to win 4-3, and all of a sudden, the guys believed they could win a championship in that building. And they hadn't, they hadn't even given up. I think they hadn't lost in, what, 44 straight games or something after leading going into the third period in their own ring. You know, then we come home, win, and lose, and then we got to go back there and try and convince the players they could win there again. And we do somewhat similar in that final game. And... Uh, Again, in a packed house. So to win two games in that building in a matter of, what, 10 days, um, somebody wrote that script, and, and I wish it was me, but, you know, thank goodness I was part of it. Last of this rapid fire, favorite Musketeer memory, not the Clark Cup. <laughs> ah, let's see. He was. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Maybe John Zyler making some of those open ice hits. <laughs> it's hard to go wrong with any of those. Yeah. 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 
And I tell you what, uh, he is Dave Siciliano, former Sioux City Musketeer head coach. No one has coached or won more games on the Musketeer bench than him. And he's kind enough to join us for our second edition of Musketeer Made. Coach, this has been a blast. And again, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on with us and uh, walk down memory lane. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate it. I always have a soft spot for Sioux City. Always. Well, and Sioux City's always going to have a soft spot for you. That's going to do it for episode two of Musketeer Made. We're back on next week for Coach Siciliano, Travis Morgan. I'm Tanner Hoops. Have a great rest of your week. 